Right. Well, it's uh, great to be here with you. Uh, so excited. Me and my wife are so excited here to share the Word of God with you. And uh, it's so nice to be here at this retreat in Bay Area. This is my home, and uh, it's nice when the birds are chirping outside on the streets and outside here on the retreat. In L.A., they cough, you know? So uh, it's, it's good that we're here to hear the birds chirping. Uh, we're, I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to share the Word of God with you. Uh, this is so good for us, for me and my wife, and we want to, I hope that this will be a blessing to you as I share the Word of God with you, and I, I do pray and hope that as the days go on that we will be able to fellowship and speak with and get to know one another. Uh, before we get into the Word, why don't we pray and uh, ask the Lord for His blessing. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much, Lord, for this retreat. We thank you for the theme of this retreat, to read the word. And Father, Lord, we understand that your word has been given to us and has been spoken to us for us to receive and to hear and to accept it in our hearts and to live it out, Lord, and to be conformed more into the image of his Son. And we pray now that as your word is being preached Father, you would give us ears to hear. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear the word of God. And we pray for that, that you would speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, before there was Tiger Woods in the world of golf, there was the great Jack Nicklaus. Jack Nicklaus still holds the record for the most majors in the world. And in his heyday... Every year before golf season began, Nicholas would return to his original golf instructor and handed his club and said, teach me to play golf. Take me back to the basics. Take me back to the most rudimentary, the most fundamental things. And this is the very thing that we have to repeatedly do as Christians. We have to return to our teacher, the spirit of truth, open the word of God and say to him, Teach me the basics of a Christian. I need to know the most rudimentary things, the most fundamental things, because if I forget the basics, if I gloss over the fundamentals, then everything else will be compromised in my life. Well, this is exactly what we want to do at this retreat, to go back to the basics. And such a lesson of going back to the basics was really taught by our our Lord and Savior In Luke chapter 10, if you can turn there with me, Luke chapter 10 and verse 38, just by way of introduction, you know, when our Lord, uh, in Luke chapter 10 at the end of 38, when our Lord was uh, welcomed by Martha in her house, and we all know Martha, she played hostess, right? Her sister Mary, uh, not only was she listening to the Lord's word, but she was doing something that was very unusual and remarkable for a woman during those times. She was seated at his feet, and the rabbis didn't allow that. A woman could only learn in the back or a section that was designated for the women. But to sit at the teacher's feet was not allowed. But Mary, she wanted to get as close as she could, and her position indicated her interest in his teaching. And she got as close as to not miss a word. But it tells us at the end of verse 38 that Martha was distracted with much serving. I mean, she was so caught up with the busyness of serving, preparing food and drinks, you know, getting the house in order, all good things, you know. And after all, she was doing it for the guest of all guests. But in the process, you see, she compromised the most, her most fundamental need. She forgot her most important priority. I mean, who cares about trying to get the house orderly, right? You've got God in there speaking divine truth. And Martha, in her own busyness of her accomplishing her own agenda, she loses sight of a rare privilege to hear the Lord himself dispense divine truth in a private sessions. And friends, I want to tell you, once your priorities and your basics get compromised, then so does your attitude. And you start losing the joy of service. You become mad. You become frustrated. You worry too much about others, critical of what they're doing and what they're not doing. And that is exactly what happened to Martha. She went up to Jesus and said, 
Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. I mean that Martha would go as far as commanding the Lord? Now our Lord could have said to her, back off, Martha. How dare you? Like we might. But our Lord was so gracious and so tender and said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And in the process of Jesus' sympathetic correction, he says this, but one thing is necessary. I don't know about you, but when I hear those words from Jesus' lips, one thing is necessary, I'm all ears. You know, I want to know what is the one thing that is necessary. Please tell me what is the one thing that is necessary. And our Lord would simply say this. The one thing that is necessary is to hear and to obey the word of God. Because that is how you can know me. That is how you can commune with me. That is how you can fellowship and please me. It's to hear my words. And everything else pales in comparison to that fundamental truth. Nothing is better. Nothing is more valuable than to hear the Lord speak. And my friends, if there ever was a generation that needed to hear that truth, it's ours. If ever was there was a generation that has lost sight of this ultimate priority, it's ours. If Martha could fit and assimilate into any culture, it would be ours. I mean, we live in the most busiest culture uh, in the history of the world. We are constantly bombarded and preoccupied with such busyness. And the busyness that I'm talking about is the trivial kind. The kind where our minds are so pulled away and distracted by media and our smartphones. We're always checking our Facebook and all this stuff. That is what I'm talking about. And have you noticed that often when things get busy, the first thing to go is our time with the Lord. And that compromise, you see, spreads in all facets, including church life. And when that ultimate priority gets compromised, you see the high and lofty place of preaching also diminishes. And it should come as no surprise that Paul charged uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1-2 to preach the word because he said a time is coming when the people within the church will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to miss. Well, my friends, that time has come. Therefore, we must model ourselves after the church of Thessalonica, whom Paul was deeply thankful for how they received the word of God. And Paul was so thankful because when they received the word of God, They received it not as the word of men, but for for what it really is, the word of God. Therefore, even the old Puritan Thomas Watson has said, When we come to the word preached, we come to a matter of highest importance. Therefore, we should stir up ourselves and hear with greatest devotion. Let me ask you, how is your hearing of God's word preached? Do you listen to God's word with greatest devotion? How are you at listening to God's word? You know, for some of you here, you can find at least 10 things better to do than to listen to God's word. Others of you might be like Herod, who enjoys listening but does nothing about it. Perhaps you look for someone to stroke your ear, someone to tickle your ear, so you hop from church to church until you can find a pastor who can tickle your ear. For some of you here, you truly have a desire to hear God's word, but it seems like all you do is listen while experiencing no growth and no change in your life. And week after week, sermons go in one year and out the other without it ever convicting your soul and transforming your life. Well, whatever your experience may be, I want to help you today become a better listener so that you can be a better Christian. I want you to get the most out of God's word preached. 
And like a bee who sucks all the honey out of the flower, I want you to get the most out of God's word. But before I can get to the how to listen, I must establish the what. And a basic theology of listening is in place. And if you haven't already noticed, uh, listening is a dominant theme that is all the Bible. And from Genesis stretching to the end of Revelation, the word of God impresses upon the reader the importance of hearing God's word. Ken Ramey, in his book, Expositional, Expository Listening, I'm sorry, he lists four theological truths about listening. I simply want to pass that along to you. So, four theological truths. Number one is this. God has spoken and commands us to listen and obey. God has spoken and commands us to listen and obey. That's very basic, right? The book of Hebrew begins with these words. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The the Lord spoke his words to us through his prophets and through his son and were recorded in the pages of scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is breathe out by God, which means that every single word that is in the Bible is exactly what God wanted to say. And since God has spoken and his words are written in the pages of scripture, we can confidently say, as B.B. Warfield says, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And this follows then that when the preacher rightly divides God's word and preaches the word faithfully, It is God speaking and not the preacher. And since God is the one speaking, we must, what, listen and obey. And I want to tell you, listening to God's word preached, okay, is a matter of life and death. It is of high importance. Several times God had told Israel that listening to his word was a matter of life and death. For example, if you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30, Verses 15 to 18, Moses spoke on behalf of God in Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, and he said this. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I command you today, By loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. It's a matter of life and death. In the New Testament, Jesus extends that invitation to hear God's word and promises not just life, abundant life here in this world, but eternal life. In John chapter 5, you guys just read this in verse 24 to 25, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you that an hour is coming and is now here that when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. God has spoken, commands us to listen to his word in order to have a right relationship to him. But here's the problem. We've all failed to listen to God and deserve hell. That is the second theological truth. We've all failed to listen to God and deserve to be punished by him. Friends, do you realize that the original sin resulted from a failure to listen to God's word? God clearly spoke his word and commanded not to eat from the tree of the life, knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve disobeyed the punishment 
spiritual separation from God. And every person that was born of Adam has been born with this corrupt nature and has been separated from God. And we were kicked out of the garden, banished from God's presence. And even if we wanted to come to God, we cannot because we are incapable. Even if we try to hear God's word, we cannot because we are incapable of hearing his word. Every one of our faculties from head to toe has been plagued by sin, including the faculty and ability to hear. We are all like dead corpses. And in a sense, when God looks down, all he sees is a cemetery. Not only are we unable to listen to God's word, but we also don't want to listen to God's word. Romans 8, 7 tells us that the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. You know, the reason why there are people at church who don't like to listen to God's word, who are not interested in, who are bored at preaching of God's word, is because they are not God's children. Plain and simple. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And just as God gives an eternal blessing of promise to those who listen to God's word in eternal life, God threatens and warns those who refuse to hear God's voice, punishment, and eternity in hell. And I want to tell you, friends, hell is filled with people who wish they had listened to God's word. Hell is the place that we all rightfully deserve because we have all fail to listen to his voice. Yet here is the third theological truth. By God's grace, he grants us the ability to listen to his words by the power of the Holy Spirit through whom we receive through Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. By God's grace, he grants us the ability to listen to his words by the power of the Holy Spirit whom we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, since it is impossible for sinners to hear God's word, we must first be born again. You just had that quiz earlier about Nicodemus encountering Christ and Jesus saying to him that you must be born again. And what Jesus meant by that, he actually clarifies a little bit further in verse 8 of chapter 3, where he says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And I want to tell you, the only way that you can be born again is not that you somehow decided to follow Jesus, but it's when the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, breathes new life in you. This is the supernatural act where once we were dead in sin but transform into a new person by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, enlightens our eyes to see our need for a Savior, Jesus Christ. And what happens in a new birth is there there is a supernatural creation of a new spiritual life, and it is created through union with Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit unites us to Christ in the living union, and therefore we are no longer slaves to sin, but alive with Christ. Let me ask you, how can you tell if you have been born again? Well, one of the clearest evidences that you have been born again is that you love God's word and that you have a longing to hear God's word. You know, I can tell you from my own personal testimony that, you know, I really hated listening to preaching. It bored me. It bored me. And, but once I got saved, you know, the light bulb suddenly just went off, and I suddenly loved to hear God's word. I couldn't get enough of, it, of, enough of it. And it's as if God had given me a new set of hearing aids that enabled me to hear God's word. Brothers and sisters, mark this well. An indispensable prerequisite for listening to God's word is to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You must have that prerequisite in order to listen to God's word. And friends, I want to also tell you that the Holy Spirit not only stops in regenerating us, but once we have been regenerated, 
the Holy Spirit now resides within us. And it is this abiding presence of the Holy Spirit that causes us not only to hunger for God's word, but it helps us to grasp the deep things of God. He is not only the regenerator, but he's also the illuminator. And the ministry of illumination of the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer to enlighten them, to help them understand, and to rightly divide the word of God. Now here's fourth and finally the fourth theological truth. God promises to bless us both now and for all eternity if we listen to him. Luke chapter eleven twenty eight says, Jesus says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Because the better we listen to God's voice, the better we'll be able to live God's life, this life, the way God intended to. And not only that, most importantly, our heaven, our, our, see, our fate will be sealed in heaven. Now, did you guys notice that the four theological truths about listening pertains to the gospel message? That is, either for salvation or damnation. You guys can see, listening to God's word is not of small importance, but it is of highest importance. The stakes are very high. Heaven and hell hangs in the balance, balance in how we hear God's word. And the parable of the soils that Jesus gives illustrates that for us, where three out of the four soils ends up in hell. And I realize that in order to hear the word of God properly, then it presupposes a preacher who faithfully exposits God's word. And trust me, any preacher worth his salt understands the grave responsibility of preaching God's word. The faithful preacher understands that in speaking on behalf of God, no one is sufficient. So he must depend upon the Holy Spirit. He must bathe himself in prayer. He must live an upright life. He must be diligent in accurate interpretation, a keen mind as to how to apply God's truth to his people. Indeed, to have great messages from God, there must be a well-prepared preacher. But that is not all. There must also be equally a well-prepared congregation. You know, as Christians, you have high expectations for your pastor, and rightly so, so, because they preach the word of God. And we all expect that the pastors would pour themselves into diligently studying the word of God, that they will live lives that are marked uh, by uh, holiness for the purpose of crafting gospel-centered, spirit-empowered sermons. I mean, we all expect pastors to dedicate themselves to the task that they have been called to do. Well, how odd it is then that we are so content to have such low standards for our own preparation and our own diligence in listening. We expect to turn up at church and and be automatically blessed by the preaching of God's word, even while we have expended no effort in preparing our souls to listen. No wonder we don't get anything out of the sermons we hear. You know, the other night I was uh, watching history made before my eyes as I watched Matt Cain pitch the first perfect game in Giants history. 122 years he pitched a perfect game. If you don't know what a perfect game is, it means no hits allowed, no walks, and not even any errors. And I was watching in the sixth inning, and I called my wife over. I don't know what she was doing. She was on a computer or Facebook. I was like, you got to watch this, honey. This is history being made. you got to watch this. And she just kind of rolled her eyes. I said, woman, you need to let you need to watch it. I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But I remember watching that performance, and I was hanging on every single pitch that was thrown. But as brilliant as Matt Cain was, He couldn't have thrown the perfect game without Buster Posey, the catcher, throwing down the signs and receiving the ball. In order to to have great sermons, the listener must team up with the preacher, much like the catcher teams up with the pitcher. 
Ken Ramey said that preaching is a joint venture in which the listening partners with the pastor so that the word of God accomplishes its intended purpose of transforming your life. He says nothing creates a more explosive, electrifying, life-changing atmosphere than when the lightning bolts from a spirit-empowered preacher hit the lightning rods of a spirit-illuminated listener. There is no telling the dynamic impact the Spirit of God will make through the Word of God anytime someone who faithfully explains and applies God's Word comes into contact with someone who faithfully listens to and obeys God's Word. You see, both the pitcher and the catcher play a vital role in the pitching process. And the responsibility doesn't all rest on the pitcher's shoulders. And in much the same way, the responsibility of preaching doesn't all rest on the preacher's shoulders. You play a vital role in the preaching process. Now, considering all that we have discussed so far about the four theological truths of listening and all the stakes that are involved, it is easy to see why Jesus said at the end of the four soils, take care then how you listen. Take care then how you listen. Because you see, Jesus recognized that sermons go in one ear and out the other. Right? Listen, the reason why God gave you ears, okay, is not to pierce them. It's not for you to decorate them, okay? The reason why God gave you ears is to listen, to hear them. And we have such a difficult, difficult time hearing that God actually gave us two ears. Some of us could actually use four ears. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So now we get to the how. How, how should we listen to a sermon? How can we profit the most from God's word preached? Well, the answer is this. With a soul that is prepared, a mind that is alert, a Bible that is open, a heart that is receptive, and a will, a a life that is ready to do his will. And we'll take these one at a time. First thing we need to do in listening to God's word is with a soul that is prepared. And this is where you need to start because, in a sense, if you fail at this one, you fail to listen at all. You know, most churchgoers assume that preparing your soul to hear God's word is a minute prayer before the worship. But friends, I want to tell you, preparation of the soul begins a week before the sermon starts. I want you to turn to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. In verse 1, Solomon, he, he gives us some very wise instructions about worship. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1. If you don't know where it is, it's right in the middle, a couple, couple books after Psalms, and you're right around there. He says, guard your steps. Guard your steps when you come to the house of God. Solomon gives us a picture of what it looks like for someone who properly comes to God to worship him. And your feet, your steps, they, they portray a graphic symbol of human conduct. And when Solomon commands us to guard your steps, he means that the worshiper must come prepared in worship by his or her obedience beforehand. And why is it that you must come prepared to guard your steps? Because you're coming to meet the holy God. And such a thought and such a recognition of who we're going to meet ought to make us well prepared. Then Solomon says this, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. He's saying you're not only concerned, your concern should not only be be to meet the living God, you should come to listen to God's word. So brothers and sisters, think of who you're going to meet and think of what you are about to do. It is not man that is speaking and, and you're coming here to meet, but you're coming to hear and meet God and to hear his eternal word. And many times you'll say, oh, let, let, come, let us go hear a man preach. But that is wrong, my friends. Rather, let's say, let us go and hear Christ preach. 
For true preachers of Christ preach not themselves, but that Christ should preach in them. And understanding this, you see, helps us realize that we cannot approach the Lord's day lightly and carelessly, nor without any internal preparation of the heart, head, uh, and hand. But a soul that is prepared will do at least these four things before coming to listen to God's word. The first thing they will do with a soul that is prepared is to read and to meditate on the word of God. Uh, Richard Baxter, an old Puritan, said, uh, Read and meditate on the Holy Scriptures much in private, then you will be better able to understand what is preached on it in public. You know, reading the Word of God every day will give you an appetite and a hunger for God's Word preached on the Lord's Day. Think of the Lord's Day sermon as the main entree, the main meal. And the daily reading and the meditation of God's word awakens your appetite for the main entree. And it trains your palate for the main meal. You know, many people leave the worship service with a stale cracker rather than a juicy prime rib. And this is why. Their palates are so worldly. They have no taste and hunger for the spiritual meal. So they leave unsatisfied and even famished. But those whose palates have been trained by the daily feeding of God's word upon their souls will enjoy and benefit the most of the meat of God's word on the Lord's day. And I would say specifically that the soul needs a special kind of preparation the night before worship. And by Saturday evening, our thoughts should be turning towards the Lord's day. You should pick out your clothes, do all your offering, all that stuff that you set aside some time to meditate upon God's word. A soul that is prepared will also do a second thing. You would pray for yourself and for your pastor. Uh, pastor Michael Fabaris wrote a booklet called Praying for Sunday. Praying for Sunday. And in it he, he wrote, The difference between life-changing preaching And another average Sunday morning is prayer. And we cannot afford to go to church this week without it. You need to first pray for yourself. And you need to plead before the Lord specifically that the Lord will grant you an honest heart, a receptive heart, a mind that is attentive. The young psalmist prayed in Psalm 19, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Beloved, you need to pray and ask the Lord, Oh Lord, give me an undivided heart. Give me a heart for you. Give me an honest heart and a receptive heart to hear and accept your word that I would treasure it and I would delight in it far richer than gold. Illuminate my mind to understand what your word means and how I can apply it. Oh, may the word of God burn within me and convict me so when I leave this place, I would not just be a mere hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Speak to me, Lord. That's how we have to pray for yourself. But you also need to pray for the preacher. Paul asked the church of Ephesus to pray for me that my words may be given in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. You know, whether your pastors ask for it or not, your pastors desperately needs a committed prayer team standing with him in his studies. Consider the words of Martin Luther. No man should be alone when he opposes Satan. The church and the ministry of the word were instituted for this purpose, that hands may be joined together and one may help one another. If the prayer of one doesn't help, then the prayer of another will. You know, someone once asked Charles Spurgeon, a.k.a. the Prince of Preachers, what is the secret to the power and effectiveness of your preaching ministry? And this is how Spurgeon replied, My people pray for me. And during every sermon that Spurgeon preached in his church, a large group of his uh, members would pray under the basement boiler where Spurgeon was preaching in the pulpit. 
You know, all too often, friends, we do not have because we do not ask. J.C. Ryle says, Herein lies the grand defect of the hearing of many. They ask no blessing, and so they have none. Their sermon passes through their minds like water through a leaky vessel and leaves nothing behind. And this is really one of the reasons why, when it comes to preaching, congregations usually get what they ask for. You need to pray for yourself and pray for your pastor. A soul that is prepared will also do another thing. It will purge and confess sin in your life. Turn to James chapter 1. Sorry, we're going to be flipping through a lot of scripture here. and uh, James chapter 1 verse 21. James says this, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The main verb in this verse is the word is the verb receive, which means that the participles of putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness is a condition of receiving God's word. And the word cannot even begin to sink in until you have cleaned house in your heart. And the heart must be plowed and it must be laboring to get those thorny thorns out of your heart and those evil lusts that grow deep in it. And you must labor to pluck them out. You know, and purging sins, you know, includes anything from unreconciled relationships, getting mad on Sunday morning on your drive to church, any wrong motives of coming to church, any unconfessed sins, you should set aside some time on Saturday evening or Sunday morning to examine your souls and confess of any known sin that you do before the Lord to effectively hear his word. And the fourth thing that a soul that is prepared would do was to, is to purify your mind by reducing your media intake. Now, I'm not trying to get legalistic on you, but Satan is committed 168 hours a week to put in filthy garbage in your mind. And one of the most chiefest ways that he does this is through media. And we just read earlier that the word, what makes the word receivable, unreceivable is filthiness and rampant wickedness. I mean, have you guys watched television lately? Long gone are the days of wholesome, clean, innocent shows and in our immodest, sensual, trivial shows. It's really no wonder why most Christians struggle with their spiritual lives and get nothing out of God's word preach. And if you really want to hear God's word for all it's worth, turn off the television on Saturday night. Turn it off on Sunday morning. Instead, purify your minds with a soul that is prepared to hear his word. Now, this leads us not only to have our souls prepared, but to have a mind that is alert. You know, if the soul is well prepared, then the mind will be alert. And you need a mind that's alert because preaching first appeals to the mind. Romans 12.2 says that, uh, that by the renewing of your minds, God does his transforming work in your life. So when you listen to a sermon... Your minds need to be fully engaged. You know, listening demands a great deal of concentration and self-discipline. Have you guys noticed that? And I'll tell you this. Preaching is very difficult to this congregation. Not this congregation, I'm sorry, to this generation because really of the high volume of media intake. And this really goes along to the point that I made earlier. But, you know, after you watch TV, you go after Facebook and all that junk and surfing the net and come to your smartphone and you come to church and try to listen to a long sermon, it's difficult, isn't it? Your mind wanders. It's easily distracted. It's because you're expected to go from a passive viewer to an active listener overnight. And the mind cannot possibly be alert if you've been passively slouching on the couch all week. Uh, J.A. Adams, a, a counselor, writes... You know, many today drift in the church with their minds turned off, slouch in the pew, and expect the teacher to do the rest. 
Examine yourself, brother or sister. Have you been guilty of becoming a Sunday morning version of the couch potato? You know, what will help your mind to be fully attentive and fully alert is to consider that listening sermons is your worship to God. And we should not insult God's majesty by being distracted by people around us, walking in and out of worship service, doodling with our pencils, and letting all these trivial things go into our minds. And to that end, a mind that is alert begins with a good night's rest on Saturday evening. You know, it takes more discipline to get to bed on time than to wake up on time. A mind that is also alert will be interactive and engaged with the preacher. You know, I love it when I preach and I see heads and they're, they're like, yeah, yeah, that's good. You know what I'm saying? It just, I used to preach to a youth group and there used to be a kid named Ray Ray. Pastor Eric and Pastor Danny knows. He's, he's a kid who used to always sit right in front. He would have a big old cheese, you know, in his face. And everything I said would be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. It fired me up. You know what I'm saying? I saw everybody else does now. If I looked at him, I was like, I'm going to preach to you then, you know? We, you need that for a mind to be alert. You need to be fully engaged with the preacher so that they know uh, that you are being attentive. Now, a third thing that you must do to get the most out of God's word is with a Bible that is open. Now, I know that's as basic as basic gets, but some of us don't even do this. We don't hear God's word all right because our Bibles are closed. I mean, we have it open during scripture reading and then we close it up at the rest of the service. But how do you know if the, what the preacher says, well, what he's saying is true? I mean, how do you know if what the preacher says is what God said? Preachers are not infallible. Only the word of God is. And so just, don't just accept it because the preacher said it. Make sure that what he's saying is what God has said, and you can only do that with a Bible that is open. For example, go to Acts chapter 17, 11. Uh, you know this verse well. Now these Jews who were the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word, how? With all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Hey, I I like that. You know, this is great stuff. Now, what did you say? You know, what chapter? What verse? Oh, let me see this for myself. Let me study this thing for myself. I want to see if what you are saying is in the text. I really want to understand. Those are the Bereans. That's why so many listeners are swept away by false preachers because they don't examine if these things are so. So what you need to do is drag that old Bible out, all right, and open it up and take out all the old leaves and flower petals and bookmarks and blow it and see if these things are so. In other words, okay, don't just take for granted what the preacher has said. Look at it like the Bereans And you make sure that it gets in your heart and you comprehend the message from God. You know, today we have churches that are insisting that people don't need to bring their Bibles. They just read one verse, throw a little verse on the overhead, and that's all you're going to get. That's all you're going to get. I mean, what kind of a church is that, right? What kind of a sermon is that? And that's what's popular today. But I know that Pillar Baptist Church is committed to preaching the word of God. And you should come with a Bible that is open. Fourth, a heart that is receptive. A heart that is receptive. You know, listening to a sermon, really listening, takes more than our minds. It requires receptive hearts that are open. And how can you have this heart that is receptive? Well, the answer is by humbling yourself before the Almighty God, that your heart will be teachable. Turn to Isaiah chapter 66, and let's look at 1 and 2. Isaiah 66. Oh, this is another reason why 
Bible open is so good because the rustling of pages is like music to the preacher's ears. Isaiah 66, here's what the Lord says. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things can, came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Oh, this is a very precious part of scriptures. And mark this well, beloved, that God only regards the soul who trembles at his word. In other words, don't come here with conceited hearts, thinking that you're some hotshot Bible scholar because you came from such and such church, or you learned from this famous preacher, or just because you studied the text, you can't get nothing out of the word. Don't become a professional listener who is always hearing but never learning. Beware of coming and having false knowledge that puffs up. But come with trembling hearts, ready to receive God's word. And you need to be like that old prophet Samuel. When the Lord spoke, Samuel, Samuel, young prophet Samuel replied, Lord, your servant is here. I am listening. Friends, even if you had a sermon, you heard a sermon on the passage before, if you come with trembling hearts, God will speak to you in a new and fresh way. His word will then convict you and will correct you and it will reprove you and it will change you. And so it is those who come with trembling hearts that are those that are hearts that are most receptive and whose minds are most fit to receive God's counsel. Finally, the last thing that you want to do to get the most out of God's word is a life that is ready to do his will. True expository listening, you see, takes a prepared soul, an alert mind, an open Bible, and a receptive heart. But the surest way that you can tell if someone has been really listening is by the way you live. And it should so be that after you hear the sermon, you are so ready to spring into action and ready to do his will. And throughout all the scriptures, there has been an inseparable relationship between listening and obeying. Such that when God commands to listen, he really means to obey. The Old Testament word for listen is the word shema, which is the same word that is used for obey. And it's used repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. And a good sermon is not how well the preacher crafted his sermon or how eloquent he, he was with his words. But how well you apply the word of God to your lives. Although don't be deceived here today. For even James tells us in James 1.22, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I want to tell you, don't be deceived into thinking that the sermon is over when the preacher says amen. Rather, this is when the sermon actually begins. And throughout the weeks, you should be telling with your lives and repeating the sermons that you heard. And when you go to work, you should be telling people about the sermons that you heard in your very life. Now, I must give you a warning here. You need to understand that even when the preaching of God's word doesn't bear any fruit in your life, it, it does not mean that it's necessarily ineffective. The preaching of God's word may be doing God's terrible work of judgment. It may be hardening your hearts. That's why the most dangerous place to be, if you're not a true Christian at church, is to be here sitting under biblical preaching. If the word of God is not softening and is not saving and is not bearing fruit, then I'll tell you it is probably hardening, blinding, and stiffening. And it's been said that the same sun that melts butter hardens clay. 
There is no neutral ground when it comes to the preaching of God's word. So if you don't plan on obeying what you heard, don't waste your time coming to church. Just don't waste your time. Not only are you just wasting your time, but more importantly, you are heaping judgment upon your souls for neglecting God's word. And every time you hear the word of God, God's word preached, you are either training yourself to obey or disobey. Now, I began this sermon to impress upon you the the weight of listening and the stakes that are involved. And no doubt, there is a stricter judgment for those who preach God's word. But in the end, the preacher and the congregation will stand in mutual judgment. The preacher will be judged for every sermon he preached and how faithfully he exposited God's word. And congregation, you will stand before God and be judged for every sermon that you have listened to. And on that day, God will ask you, were you a faithful listener to my word? What fruits did you bear as a result of the thousand sermons that you heard? You know, on that judgment day, Jesus gave a very startling picture at the conclusion of his own sermon on the mount, where he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. There it is. He who does the will of my Father. You know, I really like to tell the old Scottish story where a wife asked her husband, Is the sermon done? No, he replied. It has been said but it has yet to be done. Let us pray. Lord, we want to thank you so much for your word and how you give it to us and you help us to understand the high stakes that are involved in listening to your word. And Lord, we want to confess here and now, Lord, our sins for the many ways that we have come uh, not prepared on the Lord's day, that we have come not prepared to listen to your word, and we have insulted, Lord, your majesty by how we have listened and how we have disobeyed. Oh, Lord, confess, we confess of our sins. We ask that you would purify our hearts and our minds, and Lord, help us to come on the Lord's day or when the word is preached with the highest devotion, so that we may come to commune with Christ, because that is the one thing that is necessary. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name we pray.